The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. My last book was an anthology entitled, You Are Not Your Fault. But that's okay. Yeah, it's nice to be down here again. It's been a long time. And all of you are regulars, semi-regulars. Anyway, it's good to be here with you. I didn't uh, realize when I, I told, uh, what's the guy's name, Gil? Uh, that I would take that I would take a night uh, for him, and he said May first, and I said sure. And uh, it is International Workers' Day, so I decided that this evening I will read from uh, Marx. <laughs> das Kapital, I think. Just kidding. <laughs> but I do want to play with that theme a little bit this evening. Start out with a, a sign that was put upon the door of Diesel Books on College Avenue in Berkeley. They were closed. And this, uh, this piece was written by Gary Snyder, the beat poet. And this was posted on the door. We will close for May Day. Let's raise a toast to all those farmers, workers, artists, and intellectuals of the last 100 years who, without thought of fame or profit, whose motivations were compassionate and humanitarian, worked tirelessly in their dream of a worldwide socialist revolution, who believed and hoped that a new world was dawning and that their work would contribute to a society in which one class does not exploit another, where one ethnic group or one nation does not try to expand itself over another, and where men and women live freely as equals. What we have now is nervous third world fundamentalism and developed world, world global greed. The failure of socialism is the tragedy of the 20th century, and on this day, May Day, at least, we should honor the memory of those who struggled for the dream of what socialism might have been and begin a new way again. Gary Snyder. I'll, I'll toast to that, to those, those people back then uh, through many years. Many of them were my people, Jews. We invented that thing at... Uh, Socialism thing. <laughs> Been beating us up for it for a <laughs> hundred years. Um, in about, about 10 years ago, the Dalai Lama spoke at UC Berkeley. He was being interviewed by Orville Schell, actually. And uh, he said that once he was invited back to Beijing to talk to the officials there, this was when he was still in the Tibet, Tibet, Tibetans were still in uh, Tibet. There was still a government there. Anyway, he went back to Beijing and 
he said after a while of being there with them and seeing how their government ran and their economy ran, he said, I don't know how they could call themselves communists. And then he said, I think of myself as half Buddhist, half Marxist. And there was a gasp in the, in the auditorium. I mean, we, this is a dirty word for, for us capitalists here. And uh, we are all capitalists, whether we like it or not. Uh, but I've, since then, I've heard him say it a couple other times that he is a socialist, a Marxist. And the case could be made that the Buddha was the first. Uh, he took his followers into the forest. There was no private property. Nobody owned anything. They shared everything. They had one bowl and one robe. And, uh, you know, they took what was given to them, what was offered. It was a profound uh, experiment. When Allen Ginsberg went to China to teach beat poetry, he came back and I interviewed him for The Inquiring Mind, which no longer is, by the way, in, uh, in circulation. The archives are up, though, how, and uh, are going up. You'll be able to archive the, all the old editions. You'll be able to see them. But um, Ginsburg said, you know, it's too bad that they destroyed all the temples and they banished Buddhism and Taoism and, and the uh, sort of muscular forms of meditation practice in China. And that's exactly what m might have let their socialism live if people had been able to cultivate generosity and cult cultivate uh, non-greed and uh, train their minds, then there might have been a different, it might have been a different outcome in, in, in China. Capitalism. You okay if I get down on it a little bit here? <laughs> Abby Hoffman once said, capitalism, communism, all isms should be wasms. <laughs> I do not believe that a multiplication of wants and machinery contrived to supply them is taking the world a single step nearer to its goal. I wholeheartedly detest this mad desire to destroy distance and time, to increase animal appetites, and go to the ends of the earth in search of their satisfaction. If modern civilization stands for all this, and I have understood it to do so, I call it satanic. That was Mohandas Gandhi. Uh, Adam Smith, you know, the godfather or the grandfather of capitalism, said that goods would be exchanged and, and wealth would be gained uh, best by allowing people to look after their own enlightened self-interest. That that's a quote, enlightened self-interest. Unfortunately... Not many capitalists are enlightened. And uh, 
you kind of have self-interest getting in the way of uh, equity. What the Dalai Lama says, uh, my politics is kindness, my e- economics is sufficiency. Just enough. A friend of mine and I wrote an advertisement for the radio station that we worked for way back when, way back in the 1900s. A lot of you probably don't. It was during a period that was known, there was a a crisis in the country called the energy crisis. And uh, they were rationing gas. You could only buy gas uh, on every other day, depending on the number your license plate ended on, yeah odd and even and anyway we did this this little piece here are you worried about the energy crisis disgusted with high utility bills fed up with being an energy victim then take control of your life today and make your home energy self-sufficient with u.s adams home nuclear reactor Small enough to fit into your abandoned fallout shelter, yet powerful enough to power your major home appliances, including, including your washer, dryer, stove, refrigerator, freezer, microwave, waffle iron, toaster, coffee maker, mixer, blender, food processor, crock pot, electric wok, electric knife, knife sharpener, can opener, popcorn popper, cheese grater, meat slicer, dishwasher, garbage disposal, trash compactor, electronic broom, Vacuum cleaner, water heater, hot tub, sauna, water pick, electric toothbrush, alarm clock, AM, FM radio, tape deck, turntable, amplifier, color television, VCR, electric lights, and your automatic garage door opener. Your home nuclear reactor comes fully equipped with a lightweight plastic containment vessel and easy-to-follow emergency instructions in case of a mini meltdown. If you order today, you'll receive free directions on how to assemble a home-sized atom bomb out of your leftover nuclear wastes, enabling you to become a dominant military power in your very own neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, That was fun, but how many of the things that I mentioned do you own? Isn't it amazing how much we have? And we still are not happy and, and we, we come to the Dharma thinking this is going to do it. This better do it. But we, we, we begin to see the endlessness in meditation practice, the endlessness of desire and how the mind just goes from one thing to another and... Uh, but there are some good, good things to desire, and Dharma is one of them. But I was astonished uh, when I read this a long time ago. I first read it, but Alex de Tocqueville, writing in the 1830s, came to America and wrote about what he saw here. I have seen the freest and best educated of men in circumstances the happiest to be found in the world Yet it seemed to me that a cloud habitually hung on their brow and they seemed serious, almost sad, even in their pleasures because they never stopped thinking of the good things they have not got. He saw that in, on, in the American life, in the American people. 
in the 18, 1800s. I didn't know it was so visible. You, you see people now, you know, walking around with the, the phone in their hands and they're tipped forward. The developed industrialized nations of the world cannot remain secure islands of prosperity in a seething sea of poverty. The storm is rising against the privileged minority of the earth from which there is no shelter in isolation and armament. The storm will not abate until the just distribution of the fruits of the earth enables people everywhere to live in dignity and human decency. Martin Luther King. These conflicts that we have with each other as human beings, different tribes, different nations, it feels like we've reached the end of that road and now we have to come together as a, as a species and try to heal the damage that we've been doing to the environment ecosystems that that is our struggle is to come together and not get caught up in these pity, petty uh, arguments This is my dear friend, Joanna Macy, teaching colleague. She says, there's no technological fix, no magic bullet that can save us from the population explosion, deforestation, climate disruption, pollution, species extinctions. She says, we're going to have to want different things, seek different pleasures, pursue different goals, than those that have been driving us and our global economy. What are those goals? What do we all want? Do we still believe that if we get richer, get another thing, buy another house, buy a boat, a plane, I don't know, buy something, that it's going to do it for us? It's going to make us happy? It's so crazy. And some of the estimates that I've read from people who study these things, if we were going to sustain the entire 8 billion people on the planet with lifestyles that we're living, it would take five planets to produce it. We are are really... um, Nature can't take any more than what, what is being being taken already. There are too many of us. Some of you will have to go. <laughs> I, think the, I think the people who wrote, uh, wrote God's message, you know, got it wrong. It wasn't go forth and multiply. It was go forth and add. 
But the thing that really disturbs me the most uh, is the extinction spasm, that is what the scientists call it, the fifth largest uh, dying off of other species of life uh, since life began. The, The obvious cause are the human herds trampling across the planet, consuming everything in their path, including, including the space, including the habitat. The tragic results can be found on the endangered species lists all over the world. They have different lists. All our favorite animals are on the list. All our, the stars of the TV nature shows are on the list. The rhinos and the elephants and the jaguars and the gorillas. The animals of our myth and our myths and our poetry are on the list. The turtle that holds the earth on its back. The fox who goes out on the town, oh. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. What can we do? What can be done? I think we're doing it here. I think this is part of the answer. We're going to have to want different things, seek different pleasures, different goals. And as the Dalai Lama said, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a room with a mosquito. He's great. So have you been marching? Women's March, the Science March. Science March was great. I loved that. How many of you uh, were there? Good, good, uh, good signs. What part of E equals MC squared don't you understand? Uh, uh, Yeah, if it wasn't for science, we'd all, most of us would be dead by now. Anyway, I wrote a piece for the Pacifica Network, and as much as I don't particularly like just reading, I want to read it to you tonight. This is, uh, it's on the KPFA archives if you ever want to hear it there. But this was for Earth Day. Hello, Earthlings. Here's a song for everybody, everywhere. Happy Earth Day to you. Happy Earth Day to you. Happy Earth Day, everybody. Regardless of kingdom, phyla, class, order, family, genus, or species. And regardless of the color of skin, fur, feathers, scales, leaves, or bark. Happy Earth Day to you. Earth Day. Everybody's Mother's Day. Because the, birth gave, the earth gave birth to all of us. The microbes, the ferns, the frogs, the fish, the four-legged, you and me. And we are all together. 
And Mother Earth does continue to suckle us with air, water, food, and shelter. And even though we're spinning through space at many thousands of miles an hour, we don't even have to hold on. Because the Earth is holding on to us with her strong arms of gravity. She is our protector, our spaceship, our rock of ages. But we humans seem to be out of touch with our mother. And maybe that's because we stood upright which lifted our heads too far from the ground, fostering the belief that we are above it all. Meanwhile, our major religions have come to regard the earth as a training planet, a place where you come to learn some lessons or burn off some karma, and then you go off to your true home somewhere else. But those beliefs seem dysfunctional because they take our reverence away from this planet, remove humans from the great web of life, So on this Earth Day, the one that just happened, we want to give a big shout-out to Uncle Charlie Darwin, who started to spin us a new story about who we are and where we came from. And as Sir Charles wrote in the last sentence of his book, The Origin of Species, quote, There is a simple grandeur in this view of life, in which endless forms, most beautiful and wonderful, have been evolved. And that includes you and me, beautiful and wonderful earthlings born out of the three and a half billion year old dance drama of life on this planet. A story that contains as much awe and wonder as any Bible. To paraphrase cosmologist Brian Swim, only four billion years ago, the earth was a ball of molten rock. And now it can play the guitar. So here we are, Earth Day. 2017, playing music in the Holocene, my scene, your scene, living through a nice interglacial period. But when people say it's a beautiful day, there's a growing menace that comes with those words. And yes, the biohazards are now in the house. The temperatures rising, oceans polluted, species going extinct, just so much trouble everywhere. The word ecology itself can make you scream. Eek-ology. And what is required of us if we're going to heal the mess we've been making is is not just recycling and driving hybrid cars. It's about a change in consciousness. It's about embracing the story of evolution as our new creation myth and then making ritual around it, singing it and dancing it, bringing it alive in the corridors of our psyche and the marrow of our bones. Speaking of bones... My earthling friends, our bones are made out of phosphates, silicates, carbon, the actual clay of earth molded into this human shape. And most of our bodies are liquid, and most of that liquid has the chemical consistency of the oceans. We literally sweat and cry seawater. We're not only on the earth, we're of the earth, made of all natural earth ingredients, certified organic. And in the story of evolution, we find that we are related to every being that ever lived. Related through the miracle molecules of DNA, which carry the instructions for every form of life on this planet. So we are all cell brothers, cell sisters. Can you dig it? And there's a t-shirt from the UC Santa Cruz biology department that reads, you share 25% of your DNA with bananas, get over yourself. (laughs) And the good news, the good news is that once we start to see ourselves in the story of evolution, we will find reason for hope. We see that nature is one tough mother. 
and that life on Earth had so far survived comet collisions, continents bumping into one another, ice ages, the plague, even Henry Kissinger. (laughs) So life is very likely to survive human beings, even Donald Trump. We can also find hope by remembering that the word ecology has only been in common use for about 40 years or so. The first UN conference on the environment only took place in 1970. A blink of a blink of an eye in biological time. We're just now waking up to our impact on the life of the planet. Just now learning how we have to change our story and our way of living. It turns out that what the earth needs most from humans right now is a few years of negative economic growth. Mother Nature is telling us that we don't need a stimulus package. We need a sedative package. (laughs) Us homo sapiens could use a little downtime, giving our hearts and minds a chance to catch up with our brilliant tool-making ability. So what else can be done? As an American on Earth Day, you could try consuming about a third less of everything that you normally consume. Or you could go pick it in front of the oil company of your choice. Or go out into the ocean and take a swim in the primal amniotic fluid. And while you're out there, maybe tie yourself to an endangered coral reef. Or play some soothing music for the fish that must be very confused lately due to the changing temperature of the ocean water. No matter what you choose to do at some point in your Earth Day celebration or your any day Earth celebration, take off your shoes and dance on the ground, touching your mother's skin to skin. Or lay down flat, ignore your inner cynic, give your mama a great big hug. As always, she will kiss you and forgive you and welcome you home. And this is Scoop saying, All praises to the earth, long may she spin. And uh, as always, if you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, everyone. Every day can be Earth Day. So um, I want to leave some, a, a little time for discussion. And, but there's a couple other little things here I want to share first. Uh, how long do we go here? I don't want to bum you out, negate everything I just said, but I just want to tell you, read this to you. All parts of the earth are built over, trampled, full of commerce. Farms and fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained. Today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere on earth are residences, peoples, governments. And human growth now so clogs the world it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them. And nature fails us. That was written by the Roman historian Terulian in 150 A.D. (laughs) We've been here before. Maybe not to the extent that we're here now, and our impact is so great. I have no answers, but I do think that Dharma practice is essential, and I think the hunger for it is proof of its, uh, that its time has come to the West. 
that we really are looking for different answers and different pleasures. And uh, as the Buddha said, there's no pleasure like a quiet mind, still mind that's not wanting and or disliking and not moving with whims of the world. And that's what we're we're starting to develop. And as someone who went went east early late late sixties, early seventies, with this great wave of young Westerners, we were going to uh, study the ancient wisdom traditions at their origin, we were basically going to try to find a way to get high and never have to come down. As that was sort of the main impetus. But I thought, I, you know, I'd find a guru who would teach me how to merge with the cosmic oneness. That was big in the late 60s, merging with the cosmic oneness. The drugs may have had something to do with it. Because, <laughs> you know, you'd take LSD and you could see that everything was just one breathing, undulating thing. You, you did see that, some of you, yeah? But uh, it was really a pilgrimage that had enormous consequences. Now, and, and those consequences can be seen on, in every city in the United States, almost with yoga centers and meditation centers and uh, just what happened at Spirit Rock, the fact that you know, this little group of hippies uh, threw up a temporary housing and, and started doing meditation retreats. And now that beautiful meditation center exists out there. I think it's a, it's a wonderful development. So, any uh, ideas, comments, corrections? What do you think? You really re- ready to give it up? This super rich lifestyle, are you ready? We'll, we'll pass around a hat and you put your car keys in there. And... <laughs> no, you've got to get home, I know. Home to your sleep number bed. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, I mean, you know, if it wasn't so kind of tragic and if it wasn't so damaging, it'd be kind of funny. And we're just doing what comes naturally. I mean, uh, for most of the history of our species, we've been running around in, you know, small tribes of hunter-gatherers. That could explain our addiction to shopping, yeah? If it's out there, go get it, you know? It's a... I once, when I was doing a theater piece, I did a show, I did a little news uh, splash about um, the best thing the United States could do right now would be to go to the UN and announce to the world that we would like to resign as a superpower. We'd like to become just an ordinary, happy-go-lucky nation. You know, 
it would be great for all of us. We wouldn't have to work so hard keeping a superpower economy going, you know. Uh, we wouldn't have to worry about, you know, so much about other people coming in and trying to take things away from us. Uh, there's no shame in being, you know, losing our superpower status. You look back at history, empires like ours rise and fall almost with a kind of regularity. Most recently, the British Empire. They used to say the sun never sets on the British Empire. Now it's just those few little islands in the North Atlantic. The sun never even rises on the British Empire. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing to fear necessarily. Rome didn't decline in a day. And uh, while it was declining, a lot of Roman citizens probably didn't even notice it was happening. And a few centuries later, they started calling themselves Italians. They're doing fine today. It's <laughs> Besides, if we, if we actually did this, this would be the world's first intentional decline and fall. <laughs> so the government could, could start up some public works projects like the, the old New Deal. Only I envisage an, a New Age New Deal. So, for instance, uh, the government could start up meditation and therapy centers around the country, teach <laughs> hyperactive American workers to be less productive members of a less productive society. <laughs> People would get paid by the hour to work on themselves, you know? <laughs> we could all work with the mantra, enough, enough, we've got enough stuff, enough, enough. We've got enough stuff. <laughs> we could put construction workers back to work on disassembly lines. <laughs> Take apart the cars, melt all the steel back into ore, shovel it back into the ground again. Army Corps of Engineers could go take apart the dams, let the rivers run free. Uh, under a revised old slogan, making the world safe for nature. Maybe we could ask, you know, some of the so-called underdeveloped countries to uh, start a reverse Peace Corps and send us teachers to teach us how to cook tasty meals of rice and beans and how to wash our clothes on rocks and, most important, how to take a siesta. And... In order to keep our currency afloat as we make our transition from superpower to ordinary nation, what do we do better than any other people on the planet? Entertain. The whole planet loves American entertainment. So as we announce that we are resigning as a superpower, we simultaneously invite the rest of the world to come and visit and witness this historic moment, the world's first intentional decline and fall. We open up the whole continent as a vast theme park called formerly Great America. <laughs> the downhill rides would be spectacular, you know? <laughs> now listen, I see some of you wondering, I love my country. I feel so privileged and I feel so thankful that I got to grow up and live here. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, can, it could get better. We could, we could learn a, a, maybe a happy medium, like, you know, the middle path between affluence and depredation. We don't have to go that far. 
you know, a little, tip it over a little bit onto the affluence. We, <laughs> what, what is that? Sokni Rinpoche calls, we have uh, high-class suffering. So now you, your, 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 your questions or your answers, please. Yes. Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So if you could live any place. If you could live any place. If you could live. If you could live any place in the world, where would you live? Berkeley. Other than here. Just the, the kind of what you're talking about. Just. Other than here. Yeah. Uh, Italy. They go, I think they go a little, I mean, the, the countryside of Italy, uh, smaller towns of Italy, I think they move a little slower, and uh, I love their food, and uh, their art, and their, just their manner. Or, see, I would have said, uh, 20 years ago, I would have said Burma, perhaps, or Thailand, but I wouldn't now. Anyway, I don't know if that clears, clears anything up. Is that? Yeah, just curious. Yeah. Can you tell us about your new book? Was it, what's the title again? You Are Not Your Fault yeah. and Other Revelations. Uh, it's, it's an anthology of uh, a couple of my other books. The book Essential Crazy Wisdom is about all the jesters and tricksters and holy men, holy, you know, in the sense of Zen masters and poets and wizards from different cultures and how they kind of all have the same themes that they offer to their, their time and their people. And then I wrote a book called Buddha's Nature, which is about evolution and the Dharma and how we can sort of make, that, that evolution has a lot to, of uh, information to help us understand the Dharma. And... Uh, and likewise, uh, uh, we can use, I, I, I try to uh, devise some exercises that can really m let us experience our species self, our mammalian nature, our aliveness, you know, as essential parts of our identity. How do you do that? Well, uh, I did a little bit of it when we started to meditate. You know, feel the heat of your body. That's actually the sun's energy transformed into your living energy. Uh, you can feel the hardness of bones. Uh, touch your knee or your elbow or rub your teeth together a little bit. You can really feel the power of the jaw, the, the whole... Uh, evolutionary revolution that skulls were, that heads were. You're, 
you start to sense that you, you, with the breath, for instance, with every breath, you exchange gases with the plant kingdom. And with some reflection on that as you breathe, you really become more and more able to feel yourself part of the life stream of this planet, part of, uh, part of the web. So that, that's sort of what the book is about, too. Yeah. Our ancestors. We think of ancestors. I mean, if you really want to do ancestor worship, we think of our ancestors as, as humans, which is only appropriate, right? But, uh, you know, there are single-celled beings that are our ancestors, too, and are everybody's ancestors, including us and the four-leggeds and, the, you know, you really, the, the, the whole message of evolution is uh, we are not separate. And we're, we're perfectly human. It's very forgi- a very forgiving understanding in the story of evolution because you see that evolution created us, created a brain that, that's always planning and always wanting something and kind of fearful. And it's not your fault. It's... It's evolution's strategy. And uh, it's, look what it's done, you know. Myriad creatures, wondrous and beautiful, you know, have been evolved. And there's also that, that thing, I, I mean, I think as humans we have totally overestimated our place in the scheme of things. We said God looks like us. We're made in God's image. I don't know. Maybe it's true. But uh, would God have nose and ears? And maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an arrogance. Other, some other cultures, quite a few other cultures. I was just reading about the Greeks. They messed around with their gods, you know. They, they had the gods and the Greeks had continual oh yeah this is uh, they built a wall no they did actually they didn't build a wall Aristophanes the great playwright the great satiric playwright who's considered the the godfather of comedy itself wrote these plays Uh, one of them was called The Birds and they created, they decided, or the gods were always going down to play with their, their girlfriends, you know, the human realm. And uh, the humans would pray to the gods. And the birds realized that they had the space in between. They decided to uh, create a, a, a wall <laughs> and, and then uh, charge admission, you know, going either way. <laughs> they, called it, they called it cloud cuckoo land, cloud cuckoo land. One of the one of the characters. One of the walls. Once the wall is built, you must send an embassy to Zeus and lay your grievances before him. If he denies them, if he temporizes, then you should declare a holy war against the whole of Olympus. No more free passage for divinities in an obvious state of erection on their way through your land to flirt with their girls. It's a very funny little piece. Uh, What were we talking about? (laughs) 
um, the title of your new book. It's not your fault. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So where, 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 does the, where does this interest in comedy come from in your life? The interest in comedy? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just, uh, I don't know. I just often see it as funny, but life. But since you were a child or? Uh, yeah, yeah, since I was younger. Uh, I, was the o I was born and raised the only Jewish kid in a small town in Nebraska. I had to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> really. Um, you know, really, I, I'm actually quite melancholy. I am. And uh, I think partly humor is the defense for it. And... Uh, Laughing is just such fun. It's fun to do. If, and I, I've, I've followed comedians my whole life and, you know, studied them. And All through your talk Wes I was thinking yeah I'm right there with you and those are my values and but what can we do it does seem kind of hopeless we're pretty much cooked um, and uh, I looked at my own lifestyle um, and I, I found some things to feel pretty good about um, um, I, I, I own almost None of those gadgets or appliances that you mentioned, um, and um, how do you and live? So forth, and so forth. Um, always been a renter, so I don't have to move every now and then, and and uh, so I couldn't take all that stuff with me. Uh, and, and yet, um, and yet, I I have a tremendous number of books and. Six filing cabinets full of research notes. So it's mainly paper. But I feel like I'm drowning in stuff. Like it's a stuff, yeah. burden. Um, and, I, and I do drive almost everywhere. Uh, and, uh, and I still have the only new car I ever bought, I've ever purchased. So maybe that's kind of a uh, gold star. <laughs> it's an old car, um, but but I, I you know I, I drive a lot more than I take mass transit, and I do know someone who whose cars are least electric car, and who doesn't even drive it much. She really takes her bicycle just about everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, mean, I don't even know what this is all adding up to, except. Um, I do believe in buying as little as possible, and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I guess that's kind of what you were saying, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what the Dalai Lama meant by his economy economics is sufficiency. You know that as long as you're kept fairly healthy and you know have enough to eat and clothed and transportation, I, I think. We're just starting to investigate what we need, really need, and, and and I think that I think the hope comes from realizing how 
how recent our understanding of our damage to the planet has been. It's just been in the last 50 years or so. I think we're, we're, we're going to wake up. It's gonna, there's going to be a lot of suffering. There always is in big transitional times. I think we need to be brave enough to say what we really think that that we shouldn't that we need to dematerialize some yeah which is not what everyone else wants to hear right thank you yeah not too many people sign up for the decline and fall I think we have time for one or two, one more, maybe. Thank you. You've reminded me again how laughter is the best medicine. And in this case, you've revealed how sick we are. <laughs> and it reminded me also of George Carlin's riff on stuff. Yes. And all the stuff we accumulate and got to have, and then where to put our stuff. We need stuff to put our stuff in. (laughs) (laughs) And life goes around. But I really appreciate the context and how you deliver these messages with humor because Mm -hmm. it allows more to sink in, I think, than in just a straight deadpan presentation. we won't be the first country to have collapsed and failed and folded. Wasn't Soviet Union folded by Mikhail Gorbachev? Yes, it and was. So we could be the, the second. But we also saw the, what came after. So whatever we do, whatever happens to our country, whatever we let happen to our country, we have to try to rebuild it in a purposeful, mindful way with the values that we all want for not just people, but our planet. And I think that you've really put it in a context that we could absorb. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, one more. Okay. There's something maybe you can help me with. Uh, on November the 8th or 9th, whatever it was, I became more galvanized than I had been for years. I, I've always been an activist of some sort, but I came, became very active and still very active in some of the indivisible groups and calling and going to demonstrations and all that sort of thing. In the process, though, I've kind of lost my meditation practice. I've been pulled away from it. And and I look at it and say, well, I'm supposed to be doing this, but I I, I don't know why exactly, but I'm not finding as much meaning in, in the teachings and in the meditation practice, and I'm struggling with that. Make your protest, be mindful as you're marching, <laughs> you know, yes, and, march and mindfully. I, I am, I am, but I don't come here as much as I did. Mm-hmm. 
for the solace that I used to find here. I think that's fine. I think there's, you know, seasons you go in and out of of different uh, uh, needs in your life. The circumstances presented themselves as a time for you to come out some more, and you you followed that lead. I think you should honor that call and, you know, not worry about, uh, I mean, you know, I should be selling the practice, but uh, it it will be there. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime project, and uh, you know you're not. When I started to realize that nobody nobody's getting enlightened, I could relax. It was really. I mean, everybody's getting, I think everybody's getting a little more enlightened, but nobody's getting enlightened. Nobody's, I, I once, just by chance, luck, lucky chance, I w- was flying from uh, Lhasa, not Lhasa, from uh, Dharamsala to New Delhi and a, on a small plane, like a 19-seat plane, got to the airport. All along the way to the airport, that people were waving at my taxi. I didn't know why, but when I got there, I realized why. The Dalai Lama and a number of his people were on the same plane, flying the same plane. And my friend was reading his autobiography, and he says that he's afraid of flying and horses, and there are a number of things that he's afraid of. And uh, he was sitting a couple rows behind me, doing his mala, his head pressed against the window, visibly shaking, you know, I mean, really. It's pretty bumpy that they're in the foothills of the Himalayas, but he was really scared. And, uh, you know, it's licensed. You know, we're, we're all perfectly human. And uh, y- y- you aren't falling behind. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about... about Realization or enlightenment, every moment is an invitation. Right now, here we are together, had some good laughs, had a nice meditation. This is it. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> and, and, and that's always true. That's always true. This is as good as it gets. So let's sit together for a couple minutes before we leave.